the United States' oldest free black settlement still inhabited by the descendants of its pioneers resides right here on Staten Island. First founded in the 1820s, the self-sufficient community, named Sandy Ground, was known back in the day for its fruitful farmland and rich oyster beds that lured African-American oystermen from Maryland. Descendants of the founders live there to this day, but issues have arisen placing the national landmark at risk of falling into disrepair. The Sandy Ground Historical Society is calling out for help to preserve the community's rich history, and the Staten Island Advance is doing its part to get the word out. Challenges are presented to us, and they presented it to us for us to meet them. And with the help of the Staten Island Advance and the, and the uh, Staten Island community, and um, outside, we're getting calls from you know people from around the country who have seen the article. So all of that support helps us to meet our challenge. Welcome to the Staten Island Advances from the Scene, a podcast bringing you an inside look at the biggest stories on Staten Island with the reporters who cover them. I'm your host, Eric Bascom, and this week I'm joined by two guests, the Staten Island Advances public interest and advocacy editor, Tracy Papora, and reporter Giovanni Alves to discuss a new series focused on saving and preserving one of Staten Island's cherished historic landmarks. Thank you both for joining me today. It's always great to have you on the podcast. Uh, how have things been going on the public interest and advocacy team? We don't really see each other as much these days with everything being hybrid, but it seems like you guys have been very busy lately. Yes, we have. There's a lot of issues on Staten Island that uh, is very important to our community that the team covers. Yeah, and you know, it's funny, we used to be kind of more just politics focused, right, and government, and it's kind of expanded out from that in the past couple of years to cover more issues that maybe we weren't always covering in the past. So I, I think that that's something that's that's really great for the community to have, you know, different types of stories out there, and probably great for you guys as well to not always just be talking to politicians and writing about laws and that kind of stuff. So uh, I, I think it's great kind of the direction that we've, we've taken that. But um, so let's jump right into the reason we have you on today, and that's to talk about this new series that launched in February called Rebuilding Sandy Ground. So first, can you tell our uh, listeners, Tracy, just a little bit about what this series is, how it came together, and, and kind of why the paper has taken such a big interest in this now? This is a community of national significance. Just on a personal level, I grew up around the corner from Sandy Ground, so I always knew it was there. But a lot of Staten Islanders didn't. And um, I actually covered in the 90s when there was a huge development siege in the area. Tons and tons of houses were built and Sandy Ground started to shrink. And over the years, there's been some issues there, especially the pandemic, which the Historical Society's museum has fallen into disrepair. It needs a lot of work. And the Historical Society reached out um, to the advance to draw some attention to this. And as we spoke to more and more of the descendants there and the people who run it, we saw what they really needed to um, keep this from being erased from American history, which would be a horrible thing. Yeah, and so I think we should probably start with kind of a general overview of, of Sandy Ground, because I think a lot of our listeners might be kind of unfamiliar with it and, until they read some of our stories or until they're maybe even listening to this podcast. And, you know, to be honest, I'm a lifelong Staten Islander born and raised here, and I had never heard of it either until I had started working here at the Advance. Um, and so, Giovanni, I was curious, me and you were pretty close in age. Is this something that you were aware of before working here or something that you've also just kind of learned about recently? So I was familiar. Every summer they would have barbecues and different events and stuff. And one year I went with my dad. 
So I knew about it through him. I never learned about it through school. So that was just, just through family. But I do remember seeing the museum and being surprised that the property was so small, like what was left of, you know, what used to be this large community. Yeah, and the not learning about it in school is, uh, I, I think, a big part of it for, for why people our age may have kind of no idea, especially if you're not someone who lived on the South Shore or was over there or, or familiar with the community. Um, but I, I know that there actually has been some progress on that that one of our other colleagues, uh, Annalise, has been writing on, and, and this is something they've been following for a couple of years of trying to get that into the DOE's programming so that people in public schools actually are learning about this important uh, historic part of, uh, of the country. Country. And so uh, it's good to see that there's at least some progress made there. But back to the site itself, and, and we can start kind of like way back in the beginning in the 1800s, and either of you can, can jump in and answer this one, but like just talk a little bit about the founding of Sandy Ground and, and how it came to be and, and what it was like back then. Sandy Ground was founded uh, by two gardeners, uh, Moses and Silas Harris. They were working for these wealthy Manhattanites who had property in Rossville. So they discovered Rossville and they decided to settle there and they were the first uh, black landowners on Staten Island. Soon after, around the, probably the 1850s is when oystermen from Maryland discovered the rich oyster beds in the Raritan Bay and they fled, they decided to come here. There's a lot of evidence that it could have been a link in the Underground Railroad. It was always a place where free blacks could come and they could live and find a friendly community and thrive. And it really was a self-sufficient community for a really long time, pretty much up until 1963 when a huge brush fire destroyed many, many homes on the South Shore and a lot in Sandy Ground. And that's when people started to leave the community. Mm -hmm. Yeah, and so I'm curious kind of what the community looks like now, right? Because we're so many years removed from that. What's kind of left of the, the community? And, and Giovanni, if you want to jump in on this one, just what does it sure. look like to this day? And, you know, how many people are living there? And, and just kind of what are they dealing with on a day-to-day -day basis? Sure. So a couple of the houses um, are still standing. They're New York City landmarks, so they will remain there. The museum itself the building there's mold the roof needs repairing um, so there's a lot of dilapidated conditions there um, and then there's a couple elementary schools so you'll see kids around and then developers have come in and put townhouses throughout so if you were to walk around the area you wouldn't necessarily know that you're in sandy ground because mm -hmm. you see the museum that's there and then you see all of these houses and uh, schools. So it's, when you're there, you wouldn't necessarily know. There's also the church and then there's a cemetery, but they're all spread out. We actually did a walking tour mm -hmm. and we definitely got our steps in um, yeah. <laughs> going from landmark to landmark. That's interesting. And so, uh, you know, you mentioned some of the, the challenges that they're facing right now in terms of the, the building repairs that, that are, they need. And so w what exactly are the, the community members looking for? And or like, what are their next steps? I know that, you know, a big part of this series is us. They, they need help. They came to us. We want to get them that help. Right. And so what exactly does that look like? What kind of resources are, are, are they looking for? So they lost their 501c3 status. 
And unfortunately with that, that means that they're not getting funding um, as a nonprofit organization. So they're in the process of applying um, and getting that back, which would be a big help for, for them to get funding back in. Their executive director is stepping down. She's now in her 80s. Mm. So they're looking for a new executive director. Um, they're still looking for some new board members and pretty much any input, whether it's legal, um, people with a nonprofit background, and other ways that they can uh, pitch in. It seems like they're kind of at a place right now where they're trying to sort of revamp what it is that they, like how they've operated throughout the years, right? Trying to bring in some some new blood, so to speak, and, and some people who are maybe a little more in tune with the um, legal, financial, logistical aspects of, of everything that they need at this point. And I know Giovanni, one of your stories recently, kind of spoke to that and some of the new board members and kind of putting together this this business plan for, for kind of the future of, of Sandy Ground. So what did you learn in, in kind of researching and reporting on that one? Well, one of the new board members actually phrased it really well. He was saying that Sandy Ground, as it was, you know, previously, historical society was more of a, a grassroots approach. And now that they're modernizing, they need to bring it more to a business structure. Once again, if the with them trying to get funding, they need a very organized business plan that makes it clear what they're working on, um, any funding, what that would be used for, and their vision for the society, for the museum going forward, um, and preserving the history. In terms of the board members, one that is working on the business plan or sort of leading that, uh, she has a PhD in public policy mm. and a background working with nonprofits, so she's one of their like big game changers, I guess. <laughs> um, another one has a background in education, so she's focusing on revamping the internship program, so that will be mm -hmm. one aspect of them bringing in uh, people of younger generations and bridging that, that disconnect, bringing in new ideas. And then, of course, there's the museum itself and the infrastructure and getting the work that they need done on that. We'll be right back. The Mayor of Maple Avenue is a powerful multi-part podcast about Sean Sinisey, a victim of former Penn State football coach Jerry Sandusky, who was arrested 10 years ago for numerous child sexual abuse charges. The podcast series is written and hosted by Pulitzer Prize winning reporter Sarah Gannam, who takes listeners into the world of addiction rehabilitation, where society can be quick to celebrate the consequences for abusers while not addressing the needs of their victims. Subscribe now to the Mayor of Maple Avenue wherever you get your podcasts. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned the funding, which is obviously a big part of, of this, and, and especially with the, the need for repairs and, and seeking to, you know, um, implement new programming and, and, and stuff like that. So I'm curious, and obviously it's still kind of early in this process for them, but do they have a, a number, an estimate of, of what they might need or what it might cost to, to get done what they need? They're in the process of still assessing. Yeah, Tracy, yeah, I would thing. say the same thing um, because th right now it's unclear whether this building can even be salvaged for the museum. Mm -hmm. It may have to be a whole new structure. Wow, it's it's riddled with mold. Um, the roof is not is falling apart. So there's there's a lot of work to be done there. So I think they really need to get that assessment, and I know they're working on that as well. Gotcha. And, you know, Tracy, I also wanted to ask you, you did the um, the first piece in this series, right, and kind of laying out everything of what we're talking about, history of Sandy Ground, and you must have 
really, really research that topic because there's so much stuff dating back to, like we said, the 1800s and then kind of going throughout history. And so uh, I was curious if you could kind of share with our listeners a little bit about what that process was like and where you were able to kind of dig up some of this great information. Well, a lot of it was in our archives, and I had been reporting on this um, in the 90s when there was this big development siege back then. I was the South Shore reporter, um, and things had really changed since I had been there in the 90s. But we have a wealth of information, and the Sandy Ground Historical Society is just so many resources. They have artifacts, they have books, they have oral stories that have been handed down from generation to generation. And it's great hearing those stories, and, and it's great that they have recorded them. So, I mean, at one point, I, I know when they used to do tours of the museum, there was like storytelling and they would read to the children who would go there and tell the stories of the oystermen, how the community at one time was really a self-sufficient, thriving community. So there's a lot of information out there, but it was in a lot of different places. So Sandy Ground has been mentioned in many, in different contexts for many different projects, such as a project about the Underground Railroad. There's references to Sandy Ground. There's references in the, in the Board of Ed's curriculum now. So it's, it's taken a while, but luckily you had these descendants who were able to keep these stories alive and pass them down. Yeah, and I think that that's a kind of a big part of the reporting process that people don't always necessarily consider is just the research phase mm -hmm. that can end up taking you weeks in certain situations, depending on the story, depending on how deep you need to dig in. Um, and especially with something like this, where the history dates back, you know, roughly 200 years, that becomes almost as big a part of the story as writing it, um, just kind of getting and gathering all of that and then figuring out how we want to frame it and, and everything like that. So I, I always want to kind of touch on that when we're talking about these things, because I think it's something that g goes unnoticed sometimes. Um, but you also mentioned that you spoke with, and, and I imagine both of you at this point have spoken with some of the people who are still living there, descendants of uh, Sandy Ground families, some of them who have said, right, that they can trace their ancestry back to the founders, right, yes. all the way back, yep. which is crazy to think about. But I was curious just kind of what it was like talking to these people and, and kind of the way that they spoke about Sandy Ground, because obviously this community means so much to them. For them to have stuck around for all of these years, it's got to be something that they view as, as really important. And, and so I was curious uh, if you could tell us just a little bit about some of the people that you've spoken to and, and kind of what they had to say about Sandy Ground. So I've spoken to a few board members who happen to also be descendants. Um, some of them still live on Staten Island, some of them do not and might have grown up here. I don't know anyone personally that still lives there, mm -hmm. but some of the people I spoke with, they have family members, so like an aunt um, or a grandmother that, that still lives there. And um, some of them, I think, are might have a little bit of distance because they, you know, have moved away and, you know, focus on other things. But there was a reunion with some of the descendants last year, and uh, they wanted to do a walking tour with uh, Julie Moody Lewis, the president of the Sandy Ground Historical Society. And that's when she informed them, you know, we can't go in the museum because of the mold and sort of filled them in on the other issues of what's going on. And it sort of lit a fire under a lot of them to be motivated to, okay, almost took it for granted there's this rich history that's here, but someone has to preserve it. 
Julie Moody Lewis is the president of the Sandy Ground Historical Society. It's a lot of work, but and it's challenging. My thing is that the organization is challenged. Uh, people say, oh, they're falling apart. Oh, they're not Sandy Ground. No, 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 no. It's a challenge. And challenges are presented to us and they presented it to us for us to meet them. And with the help of the Staten Island Advance and the, and the uh, Staten Island community and um, outside, we're getting calls from, you know, people from around the country who have seen the article. So all of that support helps us to meet our challenge. And we're resilient. As Sandy Ground was a resilient community back in the 1800s when it started, and throughout the years, this is a different kind of resilience that, that we're, we're, we're showing. Basically, a lot of once people learned about, and especially the descendants learned about the situation the historical society is in, they wanted to help. Mm-hmm. So right now, it's it's about organizing that. And truthfully, a lot of the, they lost a lot of board members because people were aging out. So they're looking to pass the torch to the next generation. Mm-hmm. And that's what it seems like they've started to really recruit, and that continues, as well as help from the outside community. It, it can really um, breathe new life into the whole community. Yeah, for sure. I think uh, kind of engaging the youth and, and making them passionate about this is something that's that's very important, obviously, as you say, with a lot of the board members kind of aging at this point. And I think that's something that we see, unfortunately, in a lot of uh, situations with historical sites is that the people who are interested in it are, or who are volunteering or who are serving on the board are typically people who are older. And so uh, I think it's really important, especially as we, we look at the situation surrounding them, to try and have that infusion of the of the younger blood as you say and so I think that kind of the work that they are doing and the work that we are doing in trying to kind of get this out there is is super important and, and can definitely kind of help them uh, you know springboard this this process moving forward and so another thing I wanted to, to talk about Tracy I know that you are kind of spearheading this project so to speak as the editor and, and kind of pulling together and working with all of these different reporters and photographers and different teams and different editors and so I was wondering just kind of what that undertaking has been like because it's hard enough to manage your own team I imagine so now when you're working on a project and you're pulling from a million different places and coordinating schedules and who works which way what has that kind of been like for you? Well, it's it's been a little extra, but as soon as I found out they had reached out to the paper, I kind of stepped up and wanted to undertake this. My team takes on advocacy projects every year and series like this, and having grown up basically down the road in Huguenot from Sandy Ground and always being familiar with the community, that I, it's just so important to preserve it. It's worth the extra time. I guess that's the answer. And yeah, it has been some off hours. Uh, the president of the Historical Society, we've got a text thread. I said, text me anytime. <laughs> so it's it's been work and we plan to continue it as well. So this is just the start of the project. We really want to hope, and what we hope to happen is to create a lot of awareness and to have people come out, donate money, and really have this community be what, bring it back up to what it should be. And one of the things I forgot to mention is someone has already stepped up to help them because they had a flooding problem in their museum. And Scarin um, Heating and Air Conditioning came, donated their time, shut off their water, um, shut off their water main, and really solved that issue. 
And as far as I know, there's been several people who have reached out to us, to our executive editor, as well as to Sandy Ground, and there's a lot more in the works, and it's, it's uh, really gaining some interest, um, and hopefully it will uh, present itself in our ongoing coverage that we will be able to talk about the different things that are needed, as well as the different things that are starting to get accomplished at this point. Yeah, and you know, you mentioned that this is just kind of the start of the project, right? We're still in the, the early stages, but there are already a handful of articles that we've published. Um, so I was wondering if you could just kind of go, uh, just give a brief overview of some of the types of stories and the different focuses of each one. Can you just tell us a little bit about the stories that have already been published that our listeners could go check out now? Sure. The, the first story I wrote myself because we wanted that story to not only have a stat, show the significance of Sandy Ground to Staten Island's history and to New York's history, it's really the nation's history. So we were lucky enough to have our other um, properties throughout the chain syndicate that story, and some of them did run it. So it, it really got um, a lot much larger presence than we do just for an everyday story. And then we followed that a big part of Sandy Ground is its church. And we had a, a long story about the church, that, which is also in need of funding and donations and repair. And then we've had several stories where we're profiling the uh, descendants of Sandy Ground, or people with a connection, or even people who just decided to join the board. So we have some reporters, and we have several more of those in the works. Um, and Giovanni's story was really a very, very overall picture of what they need to do. It starts from the board members, a new executive director, and then hopefully all these pieces will, in years, you know, will be standing in front of the ribbon cutting of the new museum at some point is what we're hoping. Hopefully, yeah. And, and so obviously we can't really predict the future here and there could be things that pop up and there's new developments and then we, you know, are covering that sort of stuff. But I'm sure that there's also things that we have planned already, right, for future content. So without giving too much away, uh, can you tell us just a little bit about what other kinds of stories that are kind of uh, we have in store for, for people? But we're also going to do some interesting profiles. Um, and you know, without naming names, I think some of them will be very interesting. And some of them are people as young as 28 years old will be profiled, and some of them are as old as 90. Wow. So. That's quite the range. Yes. <laughs> and so before we wrap up, if someone hears this podcast or reads our articles or whatever it is, and they and they want to get involved and they want to help, what, what can they do? What is the best way for the, the average Staten Islander to kind of contribute to this? Well, they can always reach out to us at our tips at siadvance.com email, but the Sandy Ground Historical Society can also be contacted through email, and it's Sandy Ground Historical Society at gmail.com. Gotcha. Great. Well, thank you both so much for joining me today. It was great chatting about this super important project, and uh, hopefully Sandy Ground will get all the help that it needs, and it will remain here for another 200 years. <laughs> Thanks for having us. Thank you, Eric. Thank you for listening to the Staten Island Advances from the scene. If you like what you've heard, please make sure to rate and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and visit SILive.com for the latest on all these stories and more. Thank you for supporting local journalism.